Welcome back to Another World Audiobooks. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. We are carrying on to Chapter 8, The Fight in the Desert. And Tarzan's really in his element here in uh, northern Africa, enjoying himself, which is always uh, always a good thing. So <laughs> I wonder, I know we got listeners all around the world, and I'm always curious, like when we're doing books like this where we got different countries, I would love to hear from the uh, listeners in those countries. Like we, we were hitting on France there for a little bit, and any listeners in France who want to get in touch, would love to hear from you. Uh, we're in Algeria and Morocco. Any listeners in those areas, I would love to hear from you. Please get in touch. All the ways to do that are at anotherworldaudiobooks.com. It would really make my day just to hear from you and just to say hi. Who knows? You might even get a free audiobook out of the out of the deal. So get in touch with me. I would love to hear from you. All right, so let's get into it, guys. Without further ado, I give you Chapter 8 of The Return of Tarzan. Chapter 8 The Fight in the Desert As the three squatted upon the roof above the quarters of the dancing girls, they heard the angry cursing of the Arabs in the room beneath. Abdul translated from time to time to Tarzan. "'They are berating those in the street below now,' said Abdul, "'for permitting us to escape so easily. Those in the street say that we did not come that way, that we are still within the building, and that those above, being too cowardly to attack us, are attempting to deceive them into believing that we have escaped.' In a moment, they will have fighting of their own to attend to if they continue their brawling. Presently, those in the building gave up the search and returned to the café. A few remained in the street below, smoking and talking. Tarzan spoke to the girl, thanking her for the sacrifice she had made for him, a total stranger. I like you, she said simply. You were unlike the others who come to the café. You did not speak coarsely to me. The manner in which you gave me money was not an insult. What shall you do after tonight? He asked. You cannot return to the cafe. Can you even remain with safety in Sidi Isa? Tomorrow it will be forgotten, she replied. But I should be glad if it might be that I should never return to this or another cafe. I have not remained because I wished to. I have been a prisoner. A prisoner? ejaculated Tarzan incredulously. A slave would be the better word, she answered. I was stolen in the night from my father's duar by a band of marauders. They brought me here and sold me to the Arab who keeps this café. It has been nearly two years now since I saw the last of my own people. They are very far to the south. They never come to Sidi Isa. You would like to return to your people? asked Tarzan. Then I shall promise to see you safely, as far as Bao Sa'ad at least. There we can doubtless arrange with the commandant to send you the rest of the way. Oh, monsieur, she cried. How can I ever repay you? You cannot really mean that you will do so much for a poor dancing girl. But my father can reward you, and he will, for is he not a great sheik? He is Kadur bin Sadin. Kadur bin Sadin? ejaculated Tarzan. Why, Kadur bin Sadin is in Sidi Isa this very night. He dined with me but a few hours since. "'My father, in Sidi Isa?' cried the amazed girl. "'Allah be praised, then, for I am indeed saved.' "'Hush!' cautioned Abdul. "'Listen!' From below came the sound of voices, quite distinguishable upon the still night air. Tarzan could not understand the words, but Abdul and the girl translated. "'They have gone now,' said the latter. "'It is you they want, monsieur.' One of them said that the stranger who had offered money for your slaying lay in the house of Ahmed din Solef with a broken wrist, 
but that he had offered a still greater reward if someone would lay in wait for you upon the road to Bao Sa'ad and kill you. It is he who followed Monsieur about the market today, exclaimed Abdul. I saw him again within the café, him and another, and the two went out into the inner court after talking with this girl here. It was they who attacked and fired upon us as we came out of the café. Why do they wish to kill you, Monsieur? I do not know, replied Tarzan, and then, after a pause, unless... But he did not finish, for the thought that had come to his mind, while it seemed the only reasonable solution of the mystery, appeared at the same time quite improbable. Presently, the men in the street went away. The courtyard and the café were deserted. Cautiously, Tarzan lowered himself to the sill of the girl's window. The room was empty. He returned to the roof and let Abdul down. Then he lowered the girl to the arms of the waiting Arab. From the window, Abdul dropped the short distance to the street below, while Tarzan took the girl in his arms and leaped down as he had done on so many other occasions in his own forest with a burden in his arms. A little cry of alarm was startled from the girl's lips, but Tarzan landed in the street with but an imperceptible jar and lowered her in safety to her feet. She clung to him for a moment. How strong monsieur is, and how active, she cried. El Adria, the black lion himself, is not more so. I should like to meet this El Adria of yours, he said. I have heard much about him. When you come to the dua of my father, you shall see him, said the girl. He lives in a spur of the mountains north of us, and comes down from his lair at night to rob my father's dua. With a single blow of his mighty paw, he crushes the skull of a bull, and woe betide the belated wayfarer who meets El Adria abroad at night. Without further mishap, they reached the hotel. The sleepy landlord objected strenuously to instituting a search for Kadur bin Sardin until the following morning, but a piece of gold put a different aspect on the matter, so that a few moments later a servant had started to make the rounds of the lesser native hostelries, where it might be expected that a desert sheik would find congenial associations. Tarzan had felt it necessary to find the girl's father that night, for fear he might start on his homeward journey too early in the morning to be intercepted. They had waited perhaps half an hour when the messenger returned with Kadur bin Sardin. The old sheik entered the room with a questioning expression upon his proud face. "'Monsieur has done me the honour to—' he commenced, and then his eyes fell upon the girl. With outstretched arms, he crossed the room to meet her. "'My daughter!' he cried. "'Allah is merciful!' and tears dimmed the martial eyes of the old warrior. When the story of her abduction and her final rescue had been told to Kadur bin Sardin, he extended his hand to Tarzan. "'All that is Kadur bin Sardin's is thine, my friend, even to his life,' he said very simply, but Tarzan knew that those were no idle words. It was decided that, although three of them would have to ride after practically no sleep, it would be best to make an early start in the morning and attempt to ride all the way to Bao Sa'ad in one day. It would have been comparatively easy for the men, but for the girl it was sure to be a fatiguing journey. She, however, was the most anxious to undertake it, for it seemed to her that she could not quickly enough reach the family and friends from whom she had been separated for two years. It seemed to Tarzan that he had not closed his eyes before he was awakened, and in another hour the party was on its way south toward Bao Sa'ad. For a few miles the road was good, and they made rapid progress, but suddenly it became only a waste of sand, into which the horses sank fetlock deep at nearly every step. 
In addition to Tarzan, Abdul, the Sheik, and his daughter were four of the wild plainsmen of the Sheik's tribe who had accompanied him upon the trip to Sidi Isa. Thus, seven guns strong, they entertained little fear of attack by day, and if all went well, they should reach Bao Sa'ad before nightfall. A brisk wind enveloped them in the blowing sand of the desert, until Tarzan's lips were parched and cracked. What little he could see of the surrounding country was far from alluring. A vast expanse of rough country, rolling in little barren hillocks, and tufted here and there with clumps of dreary shrub. Far to the south rose the dim lines of the Saharan Atlas Range. How different, thought Tarzan, from the gorgeous Africa of his boyhood. Abdul, always on the alert, looked backward quite as often as he did ahead. At the top of each hillock that they mounted, he would draw his horse and, turning, scan the country to the rear with utmost care. At last, his scrutiny was rewarded. "'Look!' he cried. "'There are six horsemen behind us!' "'Your friend of last evening, no doubt, monsieur,' remarked Kadur bin Sadan dryly to Tarzan. "'No doubt,' replied the ape-man. "'I am sorry that my society should endanger the safety of your journey.' At the next village, I shall remain and question these gentlemen while you ride on. There is no necessity for my being at Bao Sa'ad tonight, and less still why you should not ride in peace. If you stop, we shall stop, said Kadur bin Sadan. Until you are safe with your friends, or the enemy has left your trail, we shall remain with you. There is nothing more to say. Tarzan nodded his head. He was a man of few words, and possibly it was for this reason as much as any that Kadur bin Sardin had taken to him, for if there be one thing that an Arab despises, it is a talkative man. All the balance of the day, Abdul caught glimpses of the horsemen in their rear. They remained always at about the same distance. During the occasional halts for rest, and at the longer halt at noon, they approached no closer. "'They are waiting for darkness,' said Kadur bin Sardin and darkness came before they reached Bao Sa'ad. The last glimpse that Abdul had of the grim, white-robed figures that trailed them, just before dusk made it impossible to distinguish them, had made it apparent that they were rapidly closing up the distance that intervened between them and their intended quarry. He whispered this fact to Tarzan, for he did not wish to alarm the girl. The ape-man drew back beside him. "'You will ride ahead with the others, Abdul,' said Tarzan. "'This is my quarrel.' I shall wait at the next convenient spot and interview these fellows. Then Abdul shall wait at your side, replied the young Arab, nor would any threats or commands move him from his decision. Very well, then, replied Tarzan. Here is as good a place as we could wish. Here are rocks at the top of this hillock. We shall remain hidden here, and give an account of ourselves to these gentlemen when they appear. They drew in their horses and dismounted. The others, riding ahead, were already out of sight in the darkness. Beyond them shone the lights of Bao Sa'ad. Tarzan removed his rifle from its boot and loosened his revolver in its holster. He ordered Abdul to withdraw behind the rocks with the horses, so that they should be shielded from the enemy's bullets, should they fire. The young Arab pretended to do as he was bid, but when he had fastened the two animals securely to a low shrub, he crept back to lie on his belly a few paces behind Tarzan. The ape-man stood erect in the middle of the road, waiting. Nor did he have long to wait. The sound of galloping horses came suddenly out of the darkness below him, and a moment later he discerned the moving blotches of lighter colour against the solid background of the night. "'Halt!' he cried, "'or we fire!' The white figures came to a sudden stop, and for a moment there was silence. 
Then came the sound of a whispered counsel, and like ghosts, the phantom riders dispersed in all directions. Again, the desert lay still about him, yet it was an ominous stillness that foreboded evil. Abdul raised himself to one knee. Tarzan cocked his jungle-trained ears, and presently there came to him the sound of horses walking quietly through the sand to the east of him, to the west, to the north, and to the south. They had been surrounded. Then a shot came from the direction in which he was looking. A bullet whirred through the air above his head, and he fired at the flash of the enemy's gun. Instantly, the soundless waste was torn with a quick staccato of guns upon every hand. Abdul and Tarzan fired only at the flashes. They could not yet see their foemen. Presently, it became evident that the attackers were circling their position, drawing closer and closer in as they began to realize the paltry numbers of the party which opposed them. But one came too close, for Tarzan was accustomed to using his eyes in the darkness of the jungle night, than which there is no more utter darkness this side of the grave, and with a cry of pain a saddle was emptied. "'The odds are evening, Abdul,' said Tarzan with a low laugh. But they were still far too one-sided, and when the five remaining horsemen whirled at a signal and charged full upon them, it looked as if there would be a sudden ending of the battle. Both Tarzan and Abdul sprang to the shelter of the rocks that they might keep the enemy in front of them. There was a mad clatter of galloping hooves, a volley of shots from both sides, and the Arabs withdrew to repeat the maneuver. But there were now only four against two. For a few moments there came no sound from the surrounding blackness. Tarzan could not tell whether the Arabs, satisfied with their losses, had given up the fight, or were waiting farther along the road to waylay them as they proceeded on toward Baosard. But he was not left long in doubt, for now all from one direction came the sound of a new charge. But scarcely had the first gun spoken ere a dozen shots rang out behind the Arabs. There came the wild shouts of a new party to the controversy, and the pounding of the feet of many horses from down the road to Bao Sa'ad. The Arabs did not wait to learn the identity of the oncomers. With a parting volley, as they dashed by the position which Tarzan and Abdul were holding, they plunged off along the road towards Sidi Isa. A moment later, Kadur bin Sadin and his men dashed up. The old sheik was much relieved to find that neither Tarzan nor Abdul had received a scratch. Not even had their horses been wounded. They sought out the two men who had fallen before Tarzan's shots, and, finding that both were dead, left them where they lay. "'Why did you not tell me that you were contemplating ambushing these fellows?' asked the sheik in a hurt tone. "'We might have had them all if the seven of us had stopped to meet them.' "'Then it would have been useless to stop at all,' replied Tarzan. "'For had we simply ridden on toward Bao Sa'ad, they would have been upon us presently, and all could have been engaged. It was to prevent the transfer of my own quarrel to another's shoulders that Abdul and I stopped off to question them. "'Then there is your daughter. I could not be the cause of exposing her needlessly to the marksmanship of six men.' Kadur bin Sadin shrugged his shoulders. He did not relish having been cheated out of a fight.' The little battles so close to Bao Sa'ad had drawn out a company of soldiers. Tarzan and his party met them just outside the town. The officer in charge halted them to learn the significance of the shots. "'A handful of marauders,' replied Kadur bin Sadin. "'They attacked two of our number who had dropped behind, but when we returned to them the fellows soon dispersed. They left two dead. None of my party is injured.' This seemed to satisfy the officer, and after taking the names of the party, he marched his men on toward the scene of the skirmish to bring back the dead men for purposes of identification if possible. Two days later, Kadur bin Sadin, with his daughter and followers, 
rode south through the pass below Bao Sa'ad, bound for their home in the far wilderness. The sheik had urged Tarzan to accompany him, and the girl had added her entreaties to those of her father. But though he could not explain it to them, Tarzan's duties loomed particularly large after the happenings of the past few days, so that he could not think of leaving his post for an instant. But he promised to come later if it lay within his power to do so, and they had to content themselves with that assurance. During these two days, Tarzan had spent practically all his time with Kadur bin Sodden and his daughter. He was keenly interested in this race of stern and dignified warriors, and embraced the opportunity which their friendship offered to learn what he could of their lives and customs. He even commenced to acquire the rudiments of their language under the pleasant tutorage of the brown-eyed girl. It was with real regret that he saw them depart, and he sat his horse at the opening of the pass, as far as which he had accompanied them, gazing after the little party as long as he could catch a glimpse of them. Here were people after his own heart. Their wild, rough lives, filled with danger and hardship, appealed to this half-savage man as nothing had appealed to him in the midst of the effeminate civilization of the great cities he had visited. Here was a life that excelled even that of the jungle, for here he might have the society of men, real men whom he could honor and respect, and yet be near to the wild nature that he loved. In his head revolved an idea that when he had completed his mission, he would resign and return to live for the remainder of his life with the tribe of Kadur bin Sodden. Then he turned his horse's head and rode slowly back to Bao's aunt. The front of the Hotel de Petite Sahara, where Tarzan stopped in Bao's aunt, is taken up with the bar, two dining rooms, and the kitchens. Both of the dining rooms open directly off the bar, and one of them is reserved for the use of the officers of the garrison. As you stand in the barroom, you may look into either of the dining rooms if you wish. It was to the bar that Tarzan repaired, after speeding Kadur bin Sodden and his party on their way. It was yet early in the morning, for Kadur bin Sodden had elected to ride far that day, so that it happened that, when Tarzan returned, there were still guests at breakfast. As his casual glance wandered into the officer's dining room, Tarzan saw something which brought a look of interest to his eyes. Lieutenant John Waugh was sitting there, and, as Tarzan looked, a white-robed Arab approached, and, bending, whispered a few words into the lieutenant's ear. Then he passed on out of the building through another door. In itself the thing was nothing, but as the man had stopped to speak to the officer, Tarzan had caught sight of something which the accidental parting of the man's bonus had revealed. He carried his left arm in a sling. Once again, just want to say a huge thank you to our patrons who make this podcast possible. Thank you guys for listening, and thank you for supporting the podcast. Thank you to Aaron, Adiosa, and Mike and Corky. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. If you want to become a patron of Another World Audiobooks, uh, it's really easy. You just go to anotherworldaudiobooks.com, scroll down, and there's a little thing that says support the podcast. And you click on that, it'll take you to our Patreon page, and there it will also lay out all the benefits, all the perks that you get for becoming a patron 
of the podcast, which would be awesome. It would make my day uh, to get some more patrons on board here and continue growing the Another World Audiobooks family. And, uh, and other ways to support the podcast, too. We got the merchandise store, which uh, with a bunch of awesome t-shirts. We'd love to see some of you guys checking those out. Um, and then also full audiobooks. If you want to just purchase those, uh, that goes to support the podcast as well. Uh, so lots of ways to support the podcast, but the best way and something that anybody and everybody can do without any, spending any money is just tell other people about the podcast. So I really appreciate your help spreading the word and uh, just getting it out there. So if you have any questions about the podcast or any suggestions or anything like that, like I said in the intro, I would love to hear from you. It just makes my day anytime I, I get in any kind of message from a, a listener. So get in touch with me. I'd love to talk with you. And yeah, we'll, we'll catch you here next week with chapter nine. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When I was in school, I absolutely hated writing. It wasn't until I was a bit older that I came to understand the power of words. If you're a business owner, you understand that power too. A business blog, when done right, can drive sales, increase revenue, and get you more customers. But as a business owner, you probably don't have the time to do all that writing. Plus, if you're not a copywriter by trade, you might feel like you're just kind of throwing words out there and they're not actually accomplishing anything. The good news is, there's a simple solution. Check it out. I call it the ultimate blog post checklist for businesses with online stores. This checklist will allow you to write better, more effective articles that convert readers into buyers. It's full of easy-to-follow examples to get your creativity flowing based on experience of nearly a million words written. And best of all, it's effective on any type of article in any industry or niche. I've successfully used this exact checklist on topics from pool table reviews to investment advice. Tired of spending tons of time writing stuff that doesn't convert? This checklist will change that by giving you highly effective blog posts and articles that transform readers into paying customers. Go to Invicta.Enterprises slash free checklist and start saving time and transforming your writing now. That's Invicta.Enterprises slash free checklist.